Welcome back, friends. Bill Creasy here with Monday's episode of Scripture Uncovered. Over the last several weeks, we've been exploring some of the women of the Bible. And last week, we had a look at some of the bad girls of the Bible. For example, King Ahab's wife, Jezebel. Boo! Boy, we booed her for sure. And we looked at Athaliah, the only female queen of Judah, who butchered her own grandchildren, climbed over their dead bodies, and grasped the crown. Well, today, I'd like to move up to the New Testament and have a look at some of the women that Jesus and the apostles knew. And I'd like to begin by taking you on a journey to Nain. So turn over with me to Luke chapter 7 at verse 11. Now, soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain. Nain is a small village in the Jezreel Valley, south of the Sea of Galilee. His disciples and a large crowd went along with him. Now, as he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And that means that she is in very big trouble. She had a husband who died, that would be her support, and a son, her only son, who has just died, leaving the widow of Nain penniless. Now imagine, if you will, in this scene, Jesus and the disciples and the crowd walking south through the Jezreel Valley on a bright, sunny day. And as they approached the village of Nain, the clouds formed above and cast a shadow over the entire little village. And as he approached Nain, a funeral procession was coming out of the village. The scene of bright colors, of sunshine, of a wonderful, beautiful day, is suddenly darkened by death. When the Lord saw the widow, his heart went out to her, and he said to her, Don't cry, because she was weeping bitterly. Then he went up and touched the coffin, and those carrying stood still. He looked at the young man, stared into that dead face, took his hand, and said, Young man, I say to you, get up. And that dead face colored, and the eyelids flickered, his eyes opened, and he began to talk. You have to wonder what he said. Oh, I had a terrible dream. Huh. the dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They sat the coffin down on the ground. The young man sat up, and he said, What happened, Mom? Well, they were all filled with awe, and they praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. And this news about Jesus spread all throughout Judea 
and the surrounding countryside. So Jesus continued on his way. And we read over in chapter 7 at verse 36. Now, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Now that's really interesting. I imagine after raising the widow of Nain's son, news spread everywhere, and this very important Pharisee invited Jesus to dinner. And you know, as you read through Scripture, there's not a single time when Jesus refuses a dinner invitation. He was a very social person. He liked dinner parties. And he went to this dinner party even knowing that he would be attacked there and criticized. But he went, and he reclined at the table. Now, a table these days in the land of Israel wasn't a table like a European table. We see Leonardo da Vinci and the Last Supper, all the chairs around the table. But no, much like a, a Moroccan restaurant where you would have a table low to the ground, cushions around it, and you would sit on the cushions. Now, when you arrive at the home of the, dinner, the man throwing the party, you knock on the door. And in his home, a servant would open the door, invite you in, have you seated, wash your feet, because you've been walking in sandals on dirt roads. You don't want to track the dirt into the house and around the table. The servant would wash your feet, and then you'd be escorted into the dinner room, where you would be seated on the cushion. Now, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. So he's on the cushions with his feet tucked up behind him. Now, when a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Now you have to wonder, this sinful woman, well, the Pharisee himself said, if this man were a prophet, he would know the kind of woman who's touching him. She is a sinner. She was a prostitute, a whore. But how did she get in the house? She would have knocked at the door. The servant would have answered. And if she was as disreputable as we assume she is, she'd be sent away. But no, she's allowed to enter. Which suggests to me that perhaps Simon the Pharisee had earlier meetings with her in his home. That's an intriguing thought. But she's allowed in, and as she stood behind Jesus, weeping, the tears fell on Jesus' feet, and she wiped them with their hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. The sinful woman. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is. She is a sinner. He said that to himself. Well, Jesus could tell by looking at him, 
the look of disapproval, the look of disdain on the man's face. The man's name is Simon. And Jesus said to him, Simon, I have something to tell you. He said, Tell me, teacher. No. He cast his eyes to the heavens and he said, Tell me, teacher. Go ahead. And Jesus said, Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon replied again with a sigh and casting his eyes to the heavens, Well, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. Jesus said, You have judged correctly. And then he turned toward the woman. And he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, the customary greeting at the door. But this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, another customary act of a host to a guest. But she poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. That is a scathing rebuke of Simon the Pharisee. And then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Well, the other guests looked at one another. They looked at Simon, all with looks of disapproval. And they said among themselves, Who, who is this man who forgives sins? Only God can forgive sins. That's blasphemy. And Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So the woman got up. And what did Jesus do? The story ends right here at the end of chapter 7. Did Jesus then pass the potatoes? No. He said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And I'll bet at that moment, Jesus stood up, took her by the hand, walked her out of the house, and Jesus never once looked back. And isn't it odd that Jesus didn't attack Simon the Pharisee with theology? He didn't attack him with high language. He attacked him for being rude. Absolutely rude. The whole dinner party was a setup to embarrass Jesus. He knew that from the start, and yet he went. Simon got what was coming to him. Now we continue in chapter 8. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another in the area of the Jezreel Valley, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, that is, the apostles. And also, now note this, some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, 
the wife of Cusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. I wanted to get to this point because here we meet a number of women who traveled with Jesus and the apostles, and they're all women of means. Mary called Magdalene. Mary is from the town of Magdala, which is on the west shore of the Sea of Galilee, about a third of the way north from the North Shore, right beneath the Arbel Cliff. The Via Maris, the main international trade route, leaving Egypt and traveling up the Mediterranean coastline, across the Jezreel Valley, around the Sea of Galilee, passes right by Magdala. Right by. In fact, we've been to Magdala many times. And if you stand on the archaeological site of Magdala and you look toward the Arabelle Cliff and you throw a rock, it would land on what was the Via Maris. It's right there. Magdala was not a fishing village. The archaeology today suggests that it was where the fishermen brought their catches to have the fish processed and then shipped on the Via Maris either to Caesarea Maritima, the deep water port on the Mediterranean coast, and shipped off into the Roman Empire, or north to Damascus on the Via Maris. It was a fish processing town, and hence a very prosperous town, and also rather large compared to the other villages along the Sea of Galilee. Mary Magdalene. We hear nothing about Mary Magdalene's husband or family, but apparently she was a wealthy woman from the town of Magdala, from whom seven demons had come out. Seven demons. What were they? Were they emblematic of the seven deadly sins? Or does seven demons simply mean a whole lot of difficulties, a complete line? The number seven is a number of completion. She was tormented by any number of things, and Jesus healed her. Joanna, the wife of Cusa, the manager of Herod's household. So she's the wife of the chief steward of Herod. Unimportant position, and of course, a wealthy woman. Susanna and many others. But I'd like to focus here on Mary Magdalene. I really like Mary Magdalene. And I have to say emphatically that Mary Magdalene was not a prostitute. Pope Gregory I, who was Pope from 590 to 604, preached a sermon on Easter Sunday of 591, sermon number 33. And in that sermon, he conflated the sinful woman at the home of Simon the Pharisee with Mary Magdalene, who appears in the very next story, and also with Mary of Bethany, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. He conflates the three. And here's what he said, Pope Gregory I, in Sermon 31, 591. She whom Luke calls the sinful woman, whom John calls Mary, 
we believe to be the Mary from whom seven devils were ejected, according to Mark. Now, what did these seven devils signify, if not all the vices? It's clear that the woman previously used the unguent to perfume her flesh in forbidden acts, that is, the perfume that the sinful woman at the home of Simon the Pharisee poured on Jesus' feet. He now applies that to Mary Magdalene. It's clear that that unguent was perfume for her flesh in forbidden acts. What she therefore displayed more scandalously, she was now offering to God in a more praiseworthy manner. She had coveted with earthly eyes, but now through penitence, these are consumed with tears. She displayed her hair to set off her face, but now her hair dries her tears. She had spoken proud things with her mouth, but in kissing the Lord's feet, she now planted her mouth on the Redeemer's feet. For every delight, therefore, she had had in herself, she now immolated herself. She turned the mass of her crimes to virtues in order to serve God entirely in penitence. Well, that seems like a, a nice application, but it's simply wrong. The sinful woman at the home of Simon the Pharisee in the Jezreel Valley is not Mary of Magdala up on the Sea of Galilee. Two different people. And Mary of Bethany lives just outside of Bethlehem on the east side of the Mount of Olives in Bethany. So we have a conflation of the two. Now, what is it we know about Mary Magdalene? Well, she and some other women of means traveled with Jesus and the other apostles and supported them out of their own means. But Mary Magdalene became very close to Jesus and to Mary, Jesus' mother. In fact, if we turn over to the Gospel according to John and we look at Jesus' crucifixion, burial, and resurrection, follow along with me in John 19, beginning at verse 17. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. Here they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Now Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, Do, don't you write, King of the Jews? This man claimed to be King of the Jews. And Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. And John notes, all this happened that the scripture might be fulfilled, which said, 
in Psalm 22, they divided my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. John 22, uh, Psalm 22, verse 18. And this is what the soldiers did. Now near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, Mary, his mother's sister, Salome, the wife of Zebedee, and the mother of James and John, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. So Mary is there at the foot of the cross, Mary Magdalene, with Jesus' mother Mary and Salome, and the other Mary, the wife of Clopas. When Jesus saw his mother there, and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, this disciple, John, took her into his home. Now remember, the foot of the cross, Jesus' mother Mary, Salome, his aunt, Mary, the wife of Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene. They stayed there the entire time. What happened to the other apostles? Oh, they all ran. We know Peter denied Jesus three times and hid, and the others all headed for the hills. But the women are there. Now later, knowing that all was now completed and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of hyssop, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. Cheap wine. When he received the drink, he said, It is finished. Better, I think, it is accomplished. His task on this earth, our redemption, has been accomplished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. He died. He's then taken down from the cross. And we read, beginning in verse 38, later Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. So Jesus' body is taken down from that cross. And there are countless artistic representations of this. Mary is typically dressed in black, weeping bitterly. Mary Magdalene, typically dressed in red, is embracing Jesus' feet and weeping. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jews. And with Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Now, Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen. And this was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. And because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Early on the first day of the week, Sunday, 
while it was still dark. Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. She went there to anoint Jesus, find someone who would move the stone, a big heavy stone, and anoint him, as was the custom, and to mourn. But she saw the stone had been removed. Immediately, she feared someone has stolen the body. She came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, that would be John. And she said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. Someone has stolen him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running. But the other disciple, John, who was writing this notice, <laughs> outran Peter and reached the tomb first. You know, John is writing his gospel sometime in the late 80s, maybe even early 90s, 60 years after the fact. He's an old man now. But he remembers how he beat Peter to the tomb. And I'll bet when they were traveling on the roads of Galilee with Jesus that oftentimes John, who was younger, if Peter is about the same age as Jesus at the time of this story in his early to mid-30s, I picture John being a late teenager or perhaps in his early 20s. And they were partners in a fishing business. John's father, James and John's father, Zebedee, Peter and Andrew, they owned the business. So how many times do you think Peter and John had a foot race from point A to point B. And now, all these years later, John cannot help but say, both were running, but I outran Peter and got there first. John bent over, looked at the strips of linen lying there, but didn't go in. Then Peter, who was behind him, by the way, I did beat him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was neatly folded up by itself, separate from the linen. And finally, the other disciple, that is John, you know, the one who had reached the tomb first, John tells us that three times. He went inside, and he saw and believed. But still, they didn't understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. They realized that he had but they didn't connect the dots with Scripture yet. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But all the while, the foot race to the tomb, looking in the tomb, going in the tomb, all the while, Mary Magdalene has been standing outside watching all this. So the disciples, Peter and John, went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head, the other at the foot. James and John, uh, Peter and John didn't see them, but Mary does. The angels appear to Mary, not to Peter and John. They ask her, woman, why are you crying? And she, in her tears and sobbing, said, They've taken my Lord away, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, 
she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she didn't realize it was Jesus. It's still dark. There are shadows. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Well, thinking he was the gardener, again, it's night, there are shadows. There's a full moon because it's Passover, the full moon, illuminating and casting shadows. She said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I'll go and get him. And then Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. She recognized his voice in the saying of her name. She grasped for him. And Jesus said, do not cling to me. I've not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. So Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I've seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. That's an extraordinary story. Notice, we have 12 core disciples. A disciple is one who follows. Later, after Jesus' resurrection, he'll spend 40 days with those 11. Judas is now gone. And he will teach them what they need to know to take the gospel out to the world. He will give them their assignment. He will send them out. That's when they become apostles. An apostle is from the Greek, Greek verb to send, one who is sent. A capital A apostle, we read in Acts chapter 1, when Peter and the others decide to replace Judas, who do you choose? Peter said, it had to have been someone who was with us the entire time, who was an eyewitness from Jesus' baptism through his entire public ministry to his death, burial, and resurrection. And they nominate two men. So a capital A apostle is somebody who was with Jesus the entire time, who is an eyewitness to his entire public ministry. That would be Mary Magdalene. And notice, Jesus said to her, Go to my brothers and tell them I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. He sends her. And I would argue that Mary Magdalene is the first capital A apostle. She's the one who delivers the message to the other capital A apostles. She is the apostle to the apostles. Now, don't you just love that? Mary Magdalene. She's one of the heroes of Scripture, and she is most certainly not a prostitute. Thank you, gang. I'll be back with you on Wednesday. Blessings to all of you. Bye-bye now.